and a warm welcome to this bonus episode of the EMJ podcast. My name is Dr. Hannah Moyer, Senior Medical Writer and Moderator for EMJ. Today, I am delighted to be bringing you a fascinating podcast considering the burden of respiratory syncytial virus and the prevention of RSV disease in infants. This podcast has been funded by Sanofi. Joining me for today's episode is Dr. Chrisula Tsiala, who is Director of the Pediatrics and Neonatology Unit at Volghera Azienda Socia Sanitaria Territoriale of Pavia in Italy. Dr. Tsiala is a pediatrician and researcher who specializes in the prevention and treatment of respiratory infections in children with a particular interest in RSV. She has published numerous papers in peer-reviewed journals on this topic. She is also a member of the Italian Society of Pediatrics and the member of Italian Society on Neonatology and member of the Working Group on Neonatal Infections of Italian Society of Neonatology. Her research is helping to improve the lives of children around the world. Dr. Tsiala, thank you so much for joining me today and I'm excited to delve into today's discussion. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let's begin. Can you start with explaining to me what is the leading cause of hospitalizations in infants under one year old in Italy? And how does that compare to cases worldwide? Uh, in this population in Italy, but also worldwide, RSV represents the first cause of hospitalization. In the world, uh, RSV is also the second cause of death after malaria and the first cause of death among respiratory infections. Uh, data, recent data from 15 European countries uh, demonstrate that uh, the majority of uh, RSV cases occur in this kind of population, in infants under one year old. Uh, you talk about the, the, these cases, but what is the kind of burden that associates to that? And is there a difference compared between what you experience in Italy to what we see in other countries and globally? For the burden of the disease, uh, worldwide we have data. A uh, recent one. In 2019, uh, we have a recent uh, publication on Lancet that said that among children younger than five years old, uh, there were approximately 30, 33 million cases of lower respiratory tract illness uh, was associated, 3.6 million of uh, hospital admissions, and more than 100,000 deaths each year. Uh, infants younger than six months of age are at great risk for RSV-associated illness and death, and more than 95% uh, of uh, RSV-associated deaths occur in low- and uh, middle-income uh, uh, countries. The problem in Italy is that uh, we don't have an Italian national system for surveillance uh, of infections or hospitalization suspected to be to RSV. So we don't have real, da real data for Italy, but we can uh, see uh, extrapolated them from uh, studies that uh, already been published uh, in, in uh, scientific uh, journals. So we have this uh, large retrospective study in Tuscany and uh, they identified that uh, in uh, the population between zero to six years, babies that were hospitalized between uh, 2014 and 2019 for an uh, respiratory infection, 38.4% uh, of these babies were hospitalized with uh, an infection due to RSV virus. Uh, most of these uh, children were born at term, and uh, almost is it 75% uh, of these babies 
or late preterm between 34 and 37 weeks of gestational age. Uh, another study that was conducted at Rome at the Bambino Gesù Hospital. And um, really, in this study, uh, the authors tried to evaluate it, uh, the economic burden of the disease in Italy, but also we can see the impact of uh, RSV uh, positive bronchiolitis uh, in Italy. And uh, they found that among uh, the infants admitted in their hospital in uh, 2017, 58% of them were for bronchiolitis due to uh, RSV. And they found also that the cases due to uh, RSV um, had a, a more higher economical burden in the hospital. And even this baby or infants, uh, they stay longer in the hospital uh, when they compare this kind of infection with the infection of uh, respiratory tract uh, due to other viruses. So there clearly is a global burden yes. um, of RSV disease. Um, it's not just low-income countries, it's high-income as well that experience this. And it's interesting you say about um, the data in terms of surveillance and, and those aspects. So for our audience, what, in terms of the typical clinical presentations of RSV infection in infants that we could perhaps use to help with that understanding of the prevalence? Okay, um, you see that... The the spread the spectrum of the disease presentation is very broad and uh, can go from a mild to severe infection and which may require hospitalization as already said even in an intensive care unit okay and um, maybe the severity is going to be too high and uh, maybe the baby is going to go under intubation and mechanical ventilation we must uh, highlight the fact that um, we have also a high rate of pediatric visits uh, for RSV, not only in acute phase, but even uh, in follow-up period due to uh, the increased risk of long-term morbidities. In neonates and children below the age of two years, uh, the clinical picture may evolve into bronchiolitis, and this is the most common clinical syndrome associated with severe RSV infection. Uh, bronchiolitis is an uh, inflammation of the smaller ways of the lungs uh, that occurring uh, after the onset of uh, rhinitis and uh, associated with uh, cough and dyspnea. And in younger children also, uh, they also can ex experience uh, fever, feeding difficulties and irritability. In uh, neonates and especially in infants, uh, RSV infection may be associated with other clinical manifestations such as uh, uh, pneumonia and uh, wheezing. Indeed, uh, RSV infections account for around 60% to 80% of uh, infant bronchiolitis and up to 40% of pediatric pneumonias. Also, I would like to um, say that uh, wheezing associated uh, with the acute phase of uh, RSV uh, infection can persist for up to four weeks uh, after the acute uh, episode of infection. Um, the case fatality ratio of uh, RSV infection in high-income countries is low, under 1%. If, of course, the child receives uh, adequate uh, supportive care, and uh, in timely manner, of course. Uh, but it can be as high as 9% in low to middle income countries. That, that's quite an important perspective, I think, in terms of weighing up the difference between supportive care. So you've mentioned 
there's an experience of bronchiolitis, pneumonia, those low respiratory tract infections, wheezing, for example. What are therefore the long-term health consequences of severe RSV disease in infants as a consequence of these sorts of symptoms? Here is a, a topic that it's uh, very important, but it's very difficult to address because you see, we have uh, many observational studies that found an association between low tract infection buyers who uh, in early life and subsequent respiratory mobility, including recurrent wheezing or uh, fairly childhood or even asthma. But you see, in this study that we can divide it in prospective one and retrospective one, we have uh, different outcomes. We see um, some study shown an uh, association between uh, uh, the babies that uh, experience an infection due to RSV and uh, respiratory morbidity in later life, and other studies that did not demonstrate that kind of uh, association. But the problem is where several researchers, they don't have made more progress in understanding this association because all the studies that they've done until now, they try to compare the babies, the infants with the infection, the severe one, the bronchiolitis, the infection that required hospitalization with uh, uh, lo long-term morbidities. Uh, but you see, Aries Wu is not only... Uh, as was already said, the, the spectrum of the disease is very broad. So we don't have only um, severe cases with hospitalization. We can have uh, uh, mild cases, even very light cases, only with uh, cough or rhinitis. So you see, there is uh, a very, very recent study that was uh, published on Lancet in 2023 from uh, American uh, pediatrician, where they study a birth cohort of uh, healthy infants with no low birth weight, no uh, other problem of uh, health. And they assess the status of RSV infection. Uh, they have babies with infection. They do the diagnosis by molecular or uh, sub and not hospitalized ones. Okay, So they take the infection, uh, only the infection. And they really found an association between babies that had the infection, not the severe one, the infection, and the association with long-term morbidity. They found that uh, they estimate that the proportion of uh, five-year current asthma cases um, that could be pervading by avoiding RSV infection during infancy was around 15%. And I, and I guess the points you've made about the current data set being more around the reports of hospitalizations, do you feel that we are capturing the main burden of RSV disease or do you feel that RSV-related visits outside of the hospital also are contributing to that burden and are we capturing that? Um, you, you centrated the topic, the important problem of RSV. Yeah, while it is well recognized for its, its impact in hospitalization on admissions uh, of young children, is an important cause of morbidity in outpatient primary care settings. Because uh, even if it's very hard to measure the relative positive, uh, then hard to measure uh, this kind of uh, impact because we have uh, a relative paucity of viral testing in the community. Healthcare utilization is estimated in around 97% of cases resulting in outpatient visits. Uh, RSV infections nearly double the number of primary care uh, consultations compared with influenza. 
resulting in a time and in uh, resource consuming issues, uh, not only for medical professionals, but also for parents uh, caring for their children. So the impact, uh, the hospitalization are the top of the iceberg. We have a lot of other problems uh, correlated to uh, RSV infection. And I guess that brings us on to your point then around the importance of protection to help alleviate the burden and consider the long-term consequences. So in helping with thinking about protection, what are some of the specific risk factors that could make some infants more susceptible to severe RSV disease? Are, are there specific ones? Yes, we have specific factors and they are um, a low gestational age when children are born preterm. Uh, low birth weight, uh, chronic lung disease, congenital heart disease, or um, disease, uh, immunological disease like uh, immunosuppressive disease that increase the risk of severe disease. This is the risk factors uh, in uh, babies that they are not really healthy. And that's quite interesting because obviously um, you mentioned earlier that a lot of the hospitalization cases, um, a high percentage of those occur primarily in healthy full-term infants. So are these infants without any of these risk factors or are there other factors or risks that contribute to those hospitalizations? The main risk factor of uh, RSV infection is uh, young age and seasonality. So uh, it is uh, easy to understand that most of uh, children with uh, infection of uh, low tract uh, respiratory infection due to RSV uh, are born full term and they don't have an, uh, any underlying disease. And although uh, prematurity is an important risk factor for a severe disease, babies born at term or late preterm account for the largest proportion of hospitalization because we have this problem. The problem is uh, the, 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 the age and the seasonality. So when the baby is around above, uh, under three months uh, of age or three to six months of age, uh, in their first season of RSV, uh, they are at a high risk of getting the infection and then have a severe infection. I, I guess if we know that the young and seasonality is key, um, can we use information? Are we able to predict if an infant may get severe disease or can we use this information to help prevent disease in these infants? For what concerns full-term full babies and babies without underlying disease, we cannot predict uh, the severity of disease. But of course, we can uh, prevent the infection uh, with non-pharmaceutical intervention because we must uh, remember what uh, we do with uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus because even if uh, RSV and SARS-CoV-2 are distinct pathogens, they share severe characteristics. Most notably, they spread through respiratory inoculation of the upper airways with respiratory secretion from infected individuals. And moreover, in surfaces, RSV can survive for several hours, particularly with lower temperature and high humidity, and uh, can remain viable for up to a half uh, an hour on hand. So it's very important uh, hand hygiene, so we must wash our hands, and of course, social distancing from uh, people that are already infected with respiratory viruses, even if we don't know if they had an uh, RSV infection. And um, how impactful is this disease and the influence of seasonality in your healthcare system in Italy and in the impact in terms of the healthcare profession? 
Uh, as uh, already said, we don't have uh, uh, Italian data we don't, because we don't have an Italian national surveillance system and we don't have even network or uh, national registers providing a precise estimate of the impact of uh, RSV infection in neonates and children. But, uh, however, based on uh, clinical experience uh, that I have and other colleagues uh, have, uh, I can say that during uh, RSV season uh, in Italy, uh, that is from November to April, uh, there is a significant increase of admission for bronchiolitis or pneumonia in pediatric and neonatal wards. And uh, uh, we have all, um, also an important and significant incremental in outpatient visits in uh, ER departments and in uh, primary care facilities. And in your opinion, where do you see developments in terms of the field of RSV-related disease prevention? Are there any particular ways in which we can help protect infants and healthy at-term infants as well? Um, nowadays, we have uh, different preventive strategies that are already developed or are in development. And these kind of strategies, including maternal vaccines to protect neonates uh, during the first month, months of life, uh, for what concern maternal immunization uh, with the goal to protect neonates from uh, RSV through passive transfer of uh, maternal antibodies. Um, uh, we, the neonates receive protection because we have the transplacental transfer of maternal antibodies. Um, so what sort of impact do you think this may bring to real-world practice? I think they're going to have a very significant impact. Of course, the importance is going to be even an impact on a public health perspective because we're going to have an important benefit even for what concern uh, PICO and NICU beds because uh, this is critical. It's uh, like SARS-CoV-2 uh, epidemic season. We had uh, intensive care units full with people and it wasn't possible to have beds for other kinds of diseases Okay, that they are uh, all year round. So when we're going to have uh, this kind of uh, protection for all babies, we're going to have uh, less occupancy in PICU and NICU beds and there's going to be more availability. It's going to have more availability for other uh, disease and other uh, health conditions. Thank you, Dr. Tsiala. Um, I just wondered, in your opinion, based on this information and the perspectives around these preventative strategies, do you, in your opinion, feel that only infants with risk factors and severe disease risk should be immunised, or you're on the side that because the burden also exists in healthy at-term infants that everyone needs to be immunised? I think, uh, as I already said, the most uh, uh, the baby born full term with no underlying condition are uh, the population that uh, have the most of the problems with RSV infection. Of course, from many studies, we found uh, that uh, almost 75% of RSV infection is in uh, full term babies, uh, in healthy full term babies. So. I think that uh, um, prevention it must be include all babies, not only uh, the babies with risk, with the risk factor that I uh, already uh, mentioned. Do you already see a change taking place in prevention for RSV disease in your current practice, or is it sort of a kind of waiting game for the options that become available? 
Here in Italy, we have here this uh, the system of national health is a system that uh, provide uh, uh, drugs and medicine for people. So if we don't have the reimbursement terms of uh, Italian uh, drug agency, we cannot advise mothers to use passive immunization because it's going to have a cost that the families cannot afford. And when you experience those steps, do you expect changes to happen in terms of the way that you do things to currently? I think that the, the change uh, that we're going to have is uh, for not for this season, but for the future season, uh, the season of uh, RSV uh, on year 2025, because I think that during 2024, we're going to have uh, the action takes from uh, the Italian drug agency. The problem is that it's not going to be mandatory in Italy for, uh, I think, uh, the next year. So it's going to depend on how you are going to convince parents to accept the immunization. Because after SARS-CoV-2 disease, uh, uh, the people here in Italy is a little bit um, not confident with uh, immunization. Okay, So it's very important to use the right words with parents uh, in order to have uh, uh, their consent to do uh, the immunization. And do you have any advice on how we can perhaps overcome this um, in terms of the way that we can communicate this information to parents, carers? Um, it's very important to, first step is the awareness of RSV infection, because uh, what I see in my clinical practice is that uh, the people uh, are not familiar with uh, RSV infection if they didn't have their children with RSV infection. So I think that is very, very important to uh, highlight the importance, the burden of the disease. And, uh, of course, the impact not only uh, for the national system of health, but even for the families. The, the, the impact is very important because this family, they're going to have a baby in maybe an intensive care unit and they're going to lose uh, days from the, their work, days from the social life and of course uh, the anxiety of uh, this kind of admission is not something that's going to uh, to fade uh, uh, in uh, a brief period so the awareness is very important and then uh, uh, i think that uh, during uh, um, the period during pregnancy before uh, the the birth of the baby uh, during the the lesson that the mother takes for the care of the baby after the birth we must have a place there where we can, uh, in this case, in this uh, moment, explain to the mothers that they have uh, the possibility to protect their babies with uh, uh, passive immunization. And are there any other challenges that may exist in terms of these prevention strategies? There are many challenges because uh, for what concerns maternal immunization, uh, the problem is uh, to find uh, uh, the right window to do the immunization. Of course, uh, the vaccine. Of course, uh, we have already uh, the schedule for pregnant women, the vaccine schedules for other vaccines like pertussis or influenza, and maybe there we must include RSV vaccine. And uh, of course, the problem is, uh, like I already said, the confidence that people are with vaccines. It's difficult. Uh, I think it's difficult worldwide. Maybe it's more difficult here in Italy. And of course, we must see, uh, we must understand here in Italy or in other places of the world who is going to, to do these vaccines, 
hospital, vaccination centers, uh, gynecologists, uh, the private gynecologists. Yes, and I guess it's not just RSV, it's just wider uh, education in terms of vaccine confidence in general. Are you aware of any approaches, innovative approaches or best practices that others have used to help address these sorts of challenges? Uh, For now, for what's concerned, the new strategies for now in Italy, we don't have something. Uh, What we do in the past years was um, some campaigns of awareness uh, and the Italian Society of Neonatology do that uh, through YouTube. They made a campaign uh, to explain to the parents what uh, RSV infection means and uh, what is the impact on babies and what the other measure of uh, preventing the infection, of course, non-pharmaceutical strategies. Um, are you able to elaborate on what sort of content or how they use these campaigns? Uh, what was it that made them effective, perhaps, or unique in the way that they're done? Is it because they were on social media that there was a better engagement? What sort of reasons are they useful? It's um, uh, for now they they made this uh, the campaign, and we pediatrician that we are members of uh, Italian Society of Neonatology. Uh, we try to share them with the parents and we try to make uh, brochure in our hospitals to give the parents uh, in uh, pre-discharge from, uh, from birth uh, centers. So they, in seasons, so they're going to be aware, most of them, when mostly uh, if they're going to have other um, infants, uh, older siblings, that of course, Arise the risk for RSV infection in uh, the newborns. And um, uh, we also, in uh, Italian Society of Neonatology, we speak about uh, the need to engage uh, um, influencer or people that have uh, an impact in uh, society and people that parents uh, prefer to hear because they said that. Uh, Doctors, pediatricians, doctors, generally doctors, they don't uh, uh, give them the real uh, world problem, the real problem. Maybe, and, and, and we said that maybe that influencer people are better campaign than doctors. So there's an approach of perhaps looking at innovative approaches outside of the kind of clinical setting and looking at that as a way of moving forward. Uh, Just to add on to that, have you noticed or are you aware of any? strategies used in other countries that have addressed no, no, I'm sorry, I don't have uh, data from other countries. I don't know what they do. I would like to know that because maybe they have a really good strategy that can we copy. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's a case of applying from a different context would be really interesting. Uh, I know in terms of like an educational perspective for these campaigns, it is, a, it is always a challenge to have that long-term impact as well. So it'd be interesting to see how these things look in the future. Thank you so much, Dr. Siala. I just want to kind of uh, ask a couple final concluding questions in terms of what are your key takeaways or recommendations then in terms of what we should be offering in terms of both healthcare professionals, parents, in terms of optimizing RSV management and also prevention in our communities. So the key takeaway is notice is that uh, RSV is the first cause of hospitalization in infants under one year. 
the burden of the disease is not only health but also economic and is very important worldwide. All infants are at risk of RSV infection uh, even if uh, they were born a term and they are healthy. Uh, we cannot, unfortunately, we cannot predict the severe disease, but we can prevent infection. No pharmacological strategies. Uh, hand hygiene is very important. Um, the other important key uh, note is that uh, RSV prevention policy uh, based on pharmacological strategies needs to be adapted to uh, the seasonal patterns of RSV to protect the most vulnerable citizens uh, from severe disease. So I just want to say a big thank you to Dr. Tsiala for joining me today and providing such a clear, detailed insight into the needs associated with this podcast, which has been on the burden of RSV and the prevention of RSV disease in infants. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can tune into more EMJ podcasts through your preferred podcast platform or by visiting emjreviews.com. Until next time, take care and goodbye for now. <laughs>